I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this show as a free educational resource and you'd like to show your support, you can do so via Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding service that allows independent creators to get their work out into the world. If you donate as little as $1 a month, that's less than what you pay for a bad cup of coffee, you'll gain access to exclusive episodes that are only available to contributors. The first patrons-only episode is a prequel to the episode on the word two. Just go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted to find out more. You can also find a link to Patreon on my website, wordsforgranted.com. Speaking of the website, I've finally updated it and made it much more user-friendly. I've also added a recommended podcast section, and each week here on the show, I'm going to take a few seconds to tell you about another independent podcast that you may enjoy. This week, I'm going to recommend The Endless Knot. The Endless Knot is a podcast, YouTube series, and blog about etymological explorations and cultural connections using language, literature, and history to explore the web of connections in the world around us. Sounds a lot like what we do here on Words for Granted, minus the YouTube series and the blog. So, if you guys like this show, you'll also like The Endless Knot. So do yourself a favor and give those guys a listen. Okay, let's get on to today's bonus episode. If you were to ask a beginner ESL student, what's your least favorite letter of the English alphabet? What do you think they'd say? Any guesses? As someone who has personally taught ESL, I can tell you firsthand that the answer to this question is C. Why do you think that is? After all, it's not like these students of English have anything personal against the letter C. It's because the pronunciation of C from one word to the next can be a little unpredictable. When learning the alphabet, we learn that the primary sound affiliated with C is K. We call this the hard C sound. But as any reader and writer of English knows, the letter C has a lot more going on than just When it appears before the letters I, E, or Y, the letter C acquires an S sound. We call this the soft C sound. Sometimes we have a hard C and a soft C in the same word, as in discrepancy or inconsistency. You see what I did there? But that's not all. We also have the digraph CH, which corresponds to the CH sound. A digraph is simply a combination of two written letters used to represent a single phoneme, or speech sound. I'm going to be using the term digraph a lot in this episode, so make note of it now. Like C itself, the pronunciation of the CH digraph isn't straightforward. In words such as machine and chef, CH is pronounced SH, as if it were written as SH. To make things even more complicated, in words such as chemical and chaos, that CH digraph is pronounced as if the H weren't there at all. It just represents the hard C sound. We also have the SC letter combination. Most of the time, the C in SC is hard, as in scab, scrub, and scope. But 
Sometimes that C falls silent, as in science, scepter, and scissors. Some other times, SC is pronounced as the sh sound, as in conscience, luscious, and crescendo. Last but not least, when the letter C comes before an I and is then followed by another vowel, it is pronounced as sh, as in special, delicious, and musician. But of course, only sometimes. In short, knowing when to use the letter C correctly can be a bit of a guessing game, even for native English speakers. We have general rules that outline the exceptions to its primary k sound, but there are exceptions to the exceptions, and then exceptions to those exceptions. For most of us, the ability to correctly spell words with variant pronunciations of C, such as science, delicious, or chemical, has nothing to do with the memorization of rules, but with the memorization of the words themselves. Now, it's not uncommon for English letters to have more than one primary pronunciation, depending on where they fall in a given word. Our vowels are a great example of this. Some are long, some are short, some are silent, etc. But what makes C noteworthy is the sheer number of its variant pronunciations and how mechanically different they are from one another. I don't want to dwell on the technical aspects of phonetics here because I'm afraid I might lose some of you, so for now, let's just say that the tongue, the vocal cords, and the breath all behave differently in each unique pronunciation of the letter C. I think the next Patreon episode is going to go into the topic of phonetics a little deeper, so if you'd like to gain access to that, you know what to do. If you were explaining the phonetic characteristics of the letter C to an alien who had no prior knowledge of the English alphabet, Mr. or Mrs. Alien might say, Man, your alphabet is so understocked. Why does this one letter have all of these weird jobs? You guys should just invent some more letters. Well, the irony is that the hard C sound is shared by K and Q and arguably X. It's easy to forget, but the letter X is really just a consolidated K-S. Box. Facts. We could just as easily spell those words as B-O-K-S and F-A-K-S, respectively. The point is that our alphabet is actually overstocked in the department of K. The only truly unique and necessary usage of the letter C in English is when it appears in the C-H digraph as a representation of the CH sound. Otherwise, we don't really need the letter C. All of the sounds could be covered by K, all of the S sounds could be covered by S, and all of the SH sounds could be covered by SH. Actually, at various points over the last 400 years, many influential people from Ben Franklin to Andrew Carnegie, yes, that Andrew Carnegie, have tried to simplify the English alphabet, particularly the usage of the letter C. However, no one ever succeeded and if I had to guess, I would say that the letter C is here to stay. So, why exactly is the letter C such a schizophrenic mess? Amazingly, this schizophrenia all stems from another letter that we haven't talked about yet, the letter G. Believe it or not, the story of the letter C 
actually begins with an early version of the letter G. Approximately 3,000 years ago in the Eastern Mediterranean civilization of Phoenicia. Phoenicia was an ancient civilization on the Mediterranean coastline of what is today southern Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Israel, and Lebanon. The Phoenicians were a wealthy seafaring people, and their greatest contribution to humankind was their invention of the alphabet. The Phoenician alphabet is the world's oldest attested alphabet, and it's the mother of every other alphabet since. Even though the Russian alphabet looks different from the Hindi alphabet, which looks different from the Greek alphabet, which looks different from the Arabic alphabet, which looks different from the Latin alphabet, which, by the way, is the one we use to write English, they are all just modifications of a single original alphabet. The next time someone says that something is the greatest thing since sliced bread, you should stop them in their tracks and correct them and tell them it's the greatest thing since the Phoenician alphabet. Seriously. Thanks to Phoenician merchants trading throughout the Mediterranean, their alphabet began to spread westward. Its first stop along its way to the British Isle was in Greece. When the Greeks borrowed the alphabet from the Phoenicians in roughly 800 BCE, there was no equivalent to the letter C. The hard C sound was assigned to the Phoenician letter Kaf, ancestor of the modern K, and a variant pronunciation of that sound was assigned to the Phoenician letter Koph, ancestor of the modern Q. The Greeks renamed these letters Kappa and Kopa, respectively. The soft C sound was assigned to the Phoenician letter Shin, ancestor of the modern S, which the Greeks renamed Sigma. Approximately 200 years later, the Greeks passed on their modified alphabet to the Etruscans who lived in what is now central western Italy. It's believed that the Etruscans spoke a language unlike most other European languages because they didn't use a hard G sound. On the contrary, the Phoenicians did have a hard G sound, and it was assigned to a letter called Gimel. The Greeks made good use of Gimel, which they renamed Gamma, but as the alphabet passed from the Greeks to the Etruscans, there was no need to represent the hard G sound. However, the Etruscans ostensibly had three different ways of pronouncing the hard C sound, so even though they already had kappa and copa, they threw out gamma's hard G sound and assigned it yet another hard C sound. From the Etruscans, the alphabet passed into the hands of their neighbors, the Latin-speaking Romans. Unlike Etruscan, the Latin language did contain a hard G sound, but the alphabet that was handed off to them via the Etruscans no longer had a way of representing it. To solve this dilemma, at first, the Romans enlisted the letter C for double duty. Based on its context, it could be used for the hard C sound or the hard G sound. Eventually, they just invented a new letter, the letter G as we know it today. By no coincidence, the shape of capital G is just a modified capital C. That capital C shape was derived from the Greek letter gamma. Although the Etruscans altered its pronunciation, they did not drastically alter its shape. So let's recap on this mess of a story thus far. 
The Greek version of G gave birth to the Etruscan version of C, which then gave birth to a brand new Latin version of G. If I may say so, the invention of the letter G was a dumb move on the Romans' part. Unlike the Etruscans, the Romans did not have all of these different ways of pronouncing the hard C sound, so one K letter was enough. And they had it. They had the letter K. There was never a need for the letter C to be doing double phonetic duty. They could have just given the letter C the hard G sound and called it a day. But for some crazy reason, they neglected the perfectly usable letter K, made C the letter for the K sound, and invented the letter G for the G sound. The ironic thing about this whole affair is that even though the letter K was virtually unused in Latin writing, the Romans kept it in the Latin alphabet like a pointless souvenir. K will make a comeback a few centuries later, but at the present moment in our story, C and only C said K and only K. Does this mean that famous Latin names such as Caesar and Cicero were actually pronounced Kaiser and Cicero? Yes, it does. The soft C pronunciation was a later development that became widespread with the fall of the Roman Empire. It may seem strange to attribute a change in pronunciation to a geopolitical demise, but here's the thing. A standardized Latin-based education was enforced throughout Rome and all of its territories, and once the empire fell, that education fell with it. This allowed new, incorrect pronunciations of Latin to flourish. Actually, these sound changes were beginning to set in even before the empire fell. Linguists believe that by 400 CE, Vulgar Latin was beginning to shift the pronunciation of C from K to CH when appearing before the letters I or E. For those of you who don't know, Vulgar Latin does not mean profane Latin. It means informal or uneducated Latin, the kind of Latin that was spoken out in the streets. The different dialects of Vulgar Latin spoken in particular geographical regions are ultimately what gave rise to the distinct Romance languages of today. Let's consider a real-life example of this sound change. The modern English word procession derives from a Latin word spelled P-R-O-C-E-S-S-I-O. In Classical Latin, that word would have been pronounced as procesio. But in the slurred pronunciation of vulgar Latin during the waning days of the empire, that pronunciation shifted to processio. The modern Italian language preserves this particular sound change. If C comes before an I or an E in Italian, that C has a CH sound. But in modern English, the word is not procession, but procession. This is because the vulgar Latin spoken in the French and Spanish regions of the ex-Roman Empire slurred the pronunciation of this soft C even further. Ch became ts. I should note that as these sound changes were occurring, spelling changes were not. Tradition and habit had ingrained them. This kind of goes without saying because we're discussing the quirky developments of the letter C in writing, but I just wanted to mention that here as a way of reinforcing this very basic point. Now, you may be wondering why the pronunciation of C was changing. 
particularly the pronunciation of C before the letters I and E. What makes I and E so special? I and E are both front vowels. What that means is that these vowel sounds are articulated toward the front of the mouth. You can add the vowel pronunciations of the letter Y, as in fly or pyramid, to this category as well. Over time, languages gravitate toward easier and easier pronunciations, which usually entails relocating all of a word's phonemes, or speech sounds, to the same part of the mouth. Unlike I, E, and Y, the hard C sound, K, is articulated in the back of the mouth, so to go from hard C to I, E, or Y requires a little bit of effort. However, the soft C sounds, whether ch, ts, or s, are all articulated in the front of the mouth and are thus easier to pronounce in conjunction with the I, E, and Y sounds. If you pay attention to the position of your tongue while pronouncing ch, e, and k, e, you can actually feel that ch, e is closer together than k, e. So, at this point in our story, Latin's once unequivocally hard C has been destabilized. This instability passed into English in the wake of the Norman-French invasion of England in 1066, but before we can jump ahead to this point in time, we need to look at the role of C in English writing prior to this event. Unlike Spanish, French, Italian, or Portuguese, English is not a Romance language, which is to say that it is not a direct descendant of Latin. English belongs to the linguistic family known as Germanic, and in the early days of the language, it was written down using a runic alphabet. The runic alphabets are a series of related writing systems used by Germanic tribes before the spread of Christianity. The spread of Christianity and the spread of the Latin alphabet are really one in the same event, and this can't be overstated. Christian texts were written in Latin, so as new ethno-linguistic tribes were converted to the religion, they not only learned to read and write Latin, but they also discarded their old barbaric ways of writing and applied the Latin alphabet to their native languages. This may seem like a drastic move, but you have to remember that at the time, most of the people belonging to these tribes were illiterate. Writing was utilized strictly by an elite religious class, so it's not like hundreds of thousands of people had to relearn a basic functional skill. This is exactly what happened to English by the 9th century CE. Latin-trained missionaries from Ireland strolled onto the British Isle, Christianized the English-speaking people, threw out their runic alphabet, and replaced it with the Latin alphabet. These Irish missionaries had learned proper classical Latin, so to them, the letter C had one sound, k. When they superimposed the Latin alphabet onto English, they transmitted this traditional pronunciation. This means that whenever you find yourself reading Old English words containing the letter C, you pronounce it hard, even if it precedes the letters I, E, or Y. For instance, kun ancestor to the modern English word kin, was spelled C-Y-N, and makian, ancestor to the modern English word make, was spelled M-A-C-I-A-N. But today, 
Neither kin nor make is spelled with a C. They're both spelled with a K. So, where did these Ks come from? Well, they came from the Latin alphabet. As we know, the letter K never actually disappeared from the Latin alphabet, even though it was unused. So, perhaps the better question for us to ask is, why was the letter K brought back into usage, particularly in the English language? The revival of the letter K from its dark and dusty corner in the Latin alphabet became necessary after the influence of French pronunciations and spellings came flooding into English. In the year 1066, the Norman French invaded England and overtook the English aristocracy. Among many other aspects of French culture, they brought with them the French language. French words and French spellings began intermingling with the native English language. The end result of this was the emergence of Middle English, but during the transition period, things were orthographically messy, particularly with regards to the letter C. Orthography, by the way, is just a fancy way of saying the way things are supposed to be written. As we now know, the French pronunciation of the letter C had softened to a tss sound when preceding the letters I, E, or Y. By the late 1200s, in both English and French, that soft tss had further softened to s. When superimposed onto pre-existing Old English words, this new rule of pronunciation rendered words such as kun, C-Y-N, and makian, M-A-C-I-N, as sin and masian, respectively. So, to fix this problem, scribes at the time began using the letter K as a way of denoting the hard C sound when confusing circumstances arose. The effects of this have lasted through modern English. In most words where a hard C sound precedes an I or an E, we spell that word with a K. Think about it. Kitten, kite, kindle, kid, key, king, colonel. All of these words are spelled with a K. There are, of course, exceptions to this rule, but most of these exceptions are found in either more recent foreign word borrowings or words with quirky etymological histories. However, all of the words I just cited are of Old English origin, and they all originally were spelled with a C. In addition to subbing in K for C, Norman English scribes also created the CK digraph. CK was, and still is, used to indicate the hard K sound when it directly follows a short vowel. Even if we don't consciously realize it, this feature is one of the defining characteristics of modern English orthography. Consider the way we spell words such as back, crack, sack, pick, thick, sick, neck, speck, and check, among a gazillion others. All of these words contain a short vowel, followed by a hard C sound, and all of them are spelled with a CK. The necessity of this digraph becomes apparent when we conjugate verbs that fall into this phonetic category. For example, if we spelled the word kicking as K-I-C-I-N-G instead of K-I-C-K-I-N-G, it would be pronounced as kissing, which, of course, is a completely different verb. 
Norman English scribes not only introduced new usages of the letter C, but they also eliminated a couple of old ones. For instance, when representing the qu sound in writing, the French QU digraph came to replace the Old English CW digraph. This means that all Old English-derived words that have a QU in them were originally spelled with a CW instead. For instance, the Old English spelling of quick was C-W-I-C, and the Old English spelling of queen was C-W-E-N. Another usage of C that the Norman English scribes discarded is the original SC digraph. Originally, SC was used to represent the SH sound that is today represented by SH. So, for instance, the Old English spelling of the word dish was D-I-S-C, and the Old English spelling of shoulder was S-C-U-L-D-E-R. Even though today these spellings look to us as if they should be pronounced disc and scolder, respectively, they were pronounced basically the same way as they are in modern English, just spelled differently. If you're wondering why the C in the SC digraph was replaced by an H, it probably has something to do with the H in the CH digraph. The CH digraph was used by French scribes to account for yet another sound change that was occurring in the language, particularly in the Parisian dialect of French. The pronunciation of the letter C was being slurred yet again, but this time a little less predictably. Before certain vowel sounds, particularly A, the hard C was starting to be pronounced as TCH. Eventually, that sound became CH. I don't know if you can hear the difference between those two sounds on your speakers, but the first has a very subtle T sound at the front of it, and the second one is just ch, as in Charles. Because the rules of this sound change were more irregular than those governing the pronunciation of soft C, Parisian scribes began using the CH digraph as a way of indicating this newly emerging pronunciation. The Parisian dialect eventually became the standardized dialect spoken throughout all of France, so by the time Middle French had emerged, CH pronunciations had permeated the language at large. We can see this change in the evolution of a word such as campum. The pronunciation of the Latin word campum gave way to the French champum, which then became champum, which then became champion in English. Because the CH and SH sounds are mechanically similar, scribes ostensibly began adding an H to the English SC digraph in order to maintain continuity between the ways the CH and SH sounds were written down. In Middle English, the SH sound was actually represented by the trigraph SCH, but eventually the C was dropped and today we just have SH. At this point, we've accounted for the hard C, the soft C, and the C in the CH digraph. But what about when that CH digraph represents a sh sound, as in chef and machine, or when it represents a hard C sound, as in chaos and chemical? The sh sound associated with the CH digraph actually comes from French as well, but it came into English at a later date. 
When English borrowed French words with the ch sound, that sound remained intact, and it's still intact today. But in French itself, the pronunciation of the ch sound continued to evolve. Today, the French ch digraph is usually pronounced as ch, as in chef. Chef is indeed a French word of the same spelling and the same pronunciation, and because the ch in chef is pronounced sh, we can automatically assume that it was a more recent borrowing into English. If we look at the word's history, chef is first attested in English during the 1830s. Compare that with a word such as chief. Chief was borrowed during the Middle French period, and so were all the other French-derived English words that have a ch pronunciation of ch. In fact, chief and chef are actually the same exact word. It was borrowed into English twice, once pre-sound shift and once post-sound shift. Both words ultimately derive from the Latin word capo, literally meaning head. A chief is the head of a tribe or an army, and a chef is the head of a kitchen. Note that the spelling of capo is C-A-P-O. It has a hard C sound preceding the letter A, which, as we've already stated, is the ultimate root of this development of ch to sh. Last but not least, let's touch upon the hard C pronunciation of the CH digraph, as in chaos and chemical. Of all the developments we've looked at in this episode, this one seems the most wasteful, doesn't it? If you're going to pronounce CH as if it's just a C, why stick that H in there in the first place? Well, at one point in time, that H did serve a phonetic purpose. But it wasn't in English, and it wasn't in French either. It wasn't even in Latin, really. It was in Greek. As a general rule, all English words in which the CH digraph is pronounced as a hard C ultimately derive from Greek. Now, if you recall, Greek does not have an equivalent to the letter C. The hard K sound is assigned to kappa, the Greek equivalent of K. So, where does this Greek-derived CH come from? It actually comes from another Greek letter called Ki. This is confusing because Ki is actually the ancestor of the letter X, but originally this Ki letter represented a breathier pronunciation of the hard C sound. When Romans borrowed words with this pronunciation, they transliterated them into Latin using C, their conventional way of denoting the K sound, plus the letter H. The H was used to distinguish this unique Greek pronunciation. However, over time, this pronunciation devolved into the familiar hard C sound, though the Greek-influenced spelling remained intact, even as these words spread throughout the Romance languages and, eventually, into English. Actually, I lied about the last but not least part. There are still a few small points I'd like to address before we wrap up. I didn't discuss the SC words where the C falls silent, as in scepter, science, or scent. And that's because the phonetic evolution of these words as a group doesn't abide by a strict set of rules. For instance, the English word scepter derives from the Latin word scepterum, but by the time it entered English in the 1300s, it was being spelled 
C-E-P-T-E-R, suggesting that it was being pronounced with a soft C. But in later spellings of the word, the S from skeptarum began to reappear. So it's possible that the silent C in our modern pronunciation of scepter was actually pronounced as a hard C at one point, but because of the odd chronology of this development in the written record, we may never know for sure. In the case of a word such as science, we know that the hard C sound was once pronounced, but it gradually vanished over time. And then there's the curious case of the word scent. It derives from the Latin word sentire. There's no C in sentire, so when it passed into English via French, it was spelled S-E-N-T. But then in the 17th century, people started sticking a C after the S. This was probably influenced by the pronunciation of words such as science that began with an S followed by a silent C. Apparently, this often etymologically inaccurate spelling trend once affected the word situate. The written record attests S-C-I-T-U-A-T-E as a variant spelling of situate from the same period, but that one didn't stick around. Okay, that's it for this one, guys. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com. If you have a particular word or topic that you'd like me to do an episode on, please let me know. Don't forget to find me on Facebook and Twitter. My Twitter name is just at wordsforgranted. And last, but definitely not least, if you love the show and you want me to love you back, please spread the word and leave a review on iTunes. I'm kidding. I have unconditional love for each and every one of you. But seriously, it seems petty, but those iTunes reviews are the number one way of getting more people on board with the show. Two words is all you need to write. If 50 of you went into the iTunes store right now and wrote, cool show, that would make such a huge difference to me. All right, enough of me asking you to do things. See you next time here at Words for Granted.